Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Daniel Dietrich. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for being here. Daniel is a singer-songwriter based in South Bend, Indiana, so I guess I'll have to ask him about the Fighting Irish after this. His honest, heartbreaking, yet hopeful writing finds a home in massive Americana anthems, catchy indie rock hooks, as well as intimate acoustic confessionals. So, uh, yeah, uh, first off, are you a Fighting Irish fan? Well, I moved here four years ago, and uh, when you live here, you just have to become one. So I love the Irish now. (laughs) Love the Irish. Golden Domer. Have you seen Touchdown Jesus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's fun to just walk around campus. It's a beautiful campus. There's so much history there. Um, So it's neat to just be right near all that. Awesome. Well, uh, tell tell our listeners a little bit bit about yourself. Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a church home. Uh, Church of God Anderson is the denomination or the movement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I grew up in church. It was great. Uh, I learned to play guitar uh, in youth group. My youth pastor showed me a few chords, and as an awkward middle schooler, that was sort of my my gateway into uh, youth group and stuff like that. And so uh, through high school and then into college, I was leading worship at the church I grew up in and, uh, you know, retreats and stuff like that. And also in that time, I had a had an indie rock band. Uh, we had a good, good little run and, uh, you know, tried to make it as a band after college and, um, put out some albums, had a lot of fun. Uh, but then I became a full-time worship pastor. So for the last, mm-hmm. gosh, uh, 14 years, I've been a worship pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so Probably around college is when my faith started to really become my own, I would say. You know, growing up, you're, you're sort of handed a faith tradition, and at some point you either yeah. uh, reject that and turn away or make it your own. And so I had some big questions in college um, that weren't easily answered by... <laughs> by the faith tradition I grew up in. And so went through sort of a deconstruction there um, and got really discouraged with, you know, the capital C church at large. I had, uh, through college, I went through, uh, went on a trip to Nepal and got to uh, work alongside Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity uh, for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, really eye-opening experiencing people of faith, uh, followers of Jesus, devoting their entire lives to serving the poorest of the poor. 
and then coming back to America, um, you know, in hindsight, it's just sort of reverse culture shock. Um, Mm -hmm. but I had a lot to process and just felt really frustrated with the church that looked more interested in, you know, a Sunday show rather than serving the poor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but growing up in the church, I thought I'm going to try to change things from the inside. And so worked at a church Mm -hmm. for a long time and tried to push things you know, as, as much as I could from, from my role. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's part of my journey there. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, do you, do you, do you mind sharing like what's different about your faith now, if you're comfortable sharing versus, you know, childhood or early college? Yeah. I think growing up, I was very concerned with, uh, do I have the correct theology? Like, do I, am I checking all the right boxes? Am I thinking the right things? Uh, am I saying the right prayers? I remember, especially in high school, being really worried that I would accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit and uh, be, <laughs> you know, cast yeah. out from heaven forever <laughs> or whatever. Like, this was something that kept me up at night. And, um, wow. I think since then, uh, since that deconstruction and kind of putting the pieces back together after that, uh, I'm a lot less concerned about those things and more concerned about the way Jesus lived. And so really just trying to care about the things Jesus seemed to care about and, uh, and do the things Jesus said he was about. So preach the good news to the poor, set the prisoners free and yeah, all that Jesus stuff. So (laughs) Daniel, I don't know a ton about the church of God, Anderson, Indiana. Like how would you describe them? Like, um, like did they lean like stiff, like Baptist or more traditional, like in, Catholic or Episcopalian, or are they more like charismatic? Do any of those adjectives rel- resonate? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Church of God has a really pretty neat history. Um, I would, I would say at the time it was more progressive. Um, I know that word can mean a lot of things, but so back when it was mm-hmm. started in the late 1800s, um, there's a famous story of one of the the founders of the movement uh, cutting the rope that segregated white from black congregants um, as just a oh. a show of unity and this this isn't a barrier anymore. Um, women in ministry were um, accepted very early on, like day one out of the movement. Uh, okay. Women could be pastors desegregation was big. Uh, so it started on this very inclusive and sort yeah. of what we might consider now progressive, um, right. sort of trajectory. And then over the decades, it just sort of slowly became mainstream evangelical, um, you know, socially conservative, theologically conservative, mm-hmm. Um, and even though women in ministry 
um, on paper are accepted and encouraged. Most congregations, unfortunately, won't hire a woman lead pastor. And, um, you know, Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock is still the most segregated time in America mm-hmm. uh, in Church of God as, as well as other churches. So it's slowly, I would say, lost some of that, um, that early energy. Yeah. It's interesting you make that comment about uh, being fearful about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And for probably a lot of our listeners, this is going way over their head. Uh, but I remember hearing this is I grew up Baptist and that I didn't have to worry about blaspheming the Holy Spirit because I think since the, I, I think I remember being told that since the coming of the Holy Spirit, that that couldn't be done anymore. So. That was a big sigh of relief for me. Oh, man, I would have loved to hear that. <laughs> it's like, what if I do it on accident? I don't even mean to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, uh, for me, it was plenty of just uh, tossing and turning in bed, wondering if I had said the prayer correctly. Yeah. And did I really mean it when I said it or whatever? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, Tell our listeners if you're willing to share like a spiritual practice that you'd recommend or that has been meaningful for you. Hmm. Um, let's see. I think uh, one is called the prayer of examine. It's uh, kind of an mm-hmm. older practice and it's very simply a way of looking back on the last 24 hours prayerfully. And there's a few questions uh, you prayerfully ask God as you reflect, like where was I most in line with the work of God in the last 24 hours? Do you think about, you know, the way you loved your kids well, or you had a good moment mm-hmm. uh, with your neighbor or any of the things that you're like, yeah, that's, that's what God is about. And that's when I was closest to what God is about. And then you also reflect on where was I the furthest yeah, from, cool. from the path of God mm. And, uh, and then finally you close like, how can I, how can I get closer? How can I do more of those things that brought me closer to God and less of the things that didn't? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, Daniel, I, I don't even know how to introduce this, I guess, but I'll just say how I became familiar with it. One of my one of my pastor friends said, I was talking to them about this this podcast that I'm doing. They're like, oh, you should interview Daniel Dietrich. He's got this song called Him for the 81%. And if you've been following politics or Christianity for the last five years, you probably have a sense of what the 81% is about. Um, but for our listeners who may not know, tell, tell them, tell me kind of what uh, prompted you to write the song, what it's about, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so the 81% references the 81% of white evangelicals that voted for Donald Trump in the 2016 election. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I remember growing up, I grew up evangelical, Republican, through and through. I didn't even know mm-hmm. a living Democrat until, like, late high school. And it was like discovering that there was a unicorn in your town, you know. It was like, what? There's a someone voted <laughs> Democrat here? Uh, so that's the world I grew up in, and I remember 
just being instilled with these values of character matters, what you say in private matters as much as what you say on the mic matters. Um, And then I was just shocked to see so many Christians, especially, you know, big names, the, you know, the um, Dr. Dobson's and the Franklin Graham's Mm -hmm. and Jerry Falwell Jr.'s fall in line behind this man that looks nothing like Jesus. And I was just shocked and saddened. And then so many of my, you know, friends and family fell in line as well because these larger than life voices were saying, yes, this is our guy. And he might be a little rough around the edges, but you know, lots on the line, et cetera. And I just, uh, you know, so 2016 happened. He was elected president. And there was a lot of like, well, you know, the the adults in the room will kind of rein him in and, you yep. know, this and that. And that just never seemed to happen. It was always the adults in the room got fired or resigned. And then just yeah, every new line in the sand was crossed. And for me, you know, a big moment was when they announced the zero tolerance separation policy that took children away from their parents at the border. And they were, you know, it was, it was stated that this was a deterrent tactic. This was cruel intentionally so that people wouldn't want to try to cross the border. And that was a moment where I was like, well, surely the party of family values isn't going to stand for this. Right. Right. Um, but they did. (laughs) And I was just shocked anew and felt like, um, you know, I just, I'm just a small town worship pastor. I don't have like a following or a platform, but I felt like I had to say something. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. I wrote this song as a, as a critique and, also as a call to fellow Christians to come back to the way of Jesus. And the song isn't saying we should all become Democrats. The song is saying we should look more like Jesus. And uh, if there are policies that don't look like Jesus, we should work to change those, no matter who's in power. Um, But it was definitely uh, a political, if not directly partisan song. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. And it definitely uh, ruffled some feathers, <laughs> uh, but I think yeah. it started some conversations as well. So, yeah. Well, uh, we're gonna drop it in here for our listeners. I grew up in your churches, Sunday morning evening service, melting tears at the foot of the rugged cross. You taught me every life is sacred. Feed the hungry and clothe the naked. Learn from you the highest law is love. And I believed you when you said that I should trust the words in red to guide my steps through a wicked world. I assume you do the same So imagine my dismay 
said speak the truth so I'll call you out. I wish you'd live the words that you put
I don't know how old you are, Daniel. Um, I'm thinking just about my childhood. Um, listening to folks like... Uh, oh, and I'm blanking. Who was the Watergate guy who became a Christian? The name slips my... Slipping off... Tip of my tongue. Um, but folks like that, folks like Cal Thomas, folks like Jerry Dobbs or James Dobson... Um, those same kind of folks talk like just really like, cause I, my formative years were in the, during the Clinton administration and especially like really coming of age at the tail end of that when he was going through his, his stuff with his infidelity and really abuse of power, whatever we want to call it. Like it was morally wrong. Uh, I can say that especially now as a leader, like was not okay. And I remember like hearing that justified criticism of uh the president clinton's actions there and being like you know hey like we're my team we're the team that stands up for doing right you know i went to christian school i went to bible college and it was like the same thing like we do what's right so i know <laughs> for me it was more like i had kind of gone through a uh deconstruction and reconstruction of my own faith since then but I know like seeing like like I'll be honest my a youth pastor who is very uh, very influential in my formation into ministry like is a like diehard Trump supporter and, and it it breaks my heart to be honest like uh, I mean I know <laughs> in fairness I'm sure he feels the same way about me but you know uh it's hard. Um, I wanted to kind of just first. I guess let me let me let you respond to that. Uh, if if anything comes to mind for you. Yeah, I think. Uh, you know, I grew up in the same in the same era, so I think a lot of those experiences mm -hmm. resonate, and just the the resounding character matters in leadership. Like there are so yeah. many conferences and books and. Uh, so much said about that, and it seems like as soon as power was on the line, um, yeah. that that value is the first thing to hit the chopping block. And um, it's sort of like the ends justify the means now, but you know the Supreme yep. Court justices justify the yep. immorality in other places, like. And I just don't see that in the way of Jesus. I think the way of Jesus yeah. is the the means are the ends. Um, like yeah. how you yeah, how you interact with the least of these is the important thing. Um, and Jesus spoke truth to those in power, uh, but he never compromised his values to obtain power. Obviously, mm -hmm. Jesus, if you think Jesus is God, he didn't need to do anything to obtain power, but you know, political, right. worldly power. Right. Yeah, so I think um, it's just been 
sort of shocking to see the 180 of the moral majority. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to rem- hard to believe that's what they call themselves. At least they used to. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. It is painful, at least again from my perspective. And I I like what you say about the the means are the ends. Uh, you know, this is this kind of like ends me. The ends justify the means utilitarianism. I am not a fan of it all, for these same reasons. Um, but I mean, let's let's talk through. I thought it'd be interesting just for our listeners to talk through some of the lyrics in your song. Um, so you. I mean, I'm not going to try to sing them to you, so you can sing them if you want, but I'll recite them to you. You write about leading the sheep to wolves, and I'm curious what that's looked like to you. Yeah, I think that's just what we're talking about right now, and even what we've seen you know, after the January 6th insurrection is yeah, you know, like Franklin Graham doubling down and saying, like, this... Yeah. this guy was still the best thing to happen to Christianity in our generation. Um, yeah. These are people entrusted with leadership. Uh, we've, we've entrusted them to say and teach and lead by example, and they are leading us away from the path of Jesus for the sake of power. And I, it just seems so blatant to me and to many others. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what that, that line is referencing. These, these iconic figures yeah. are, you know, people with large platforms compromising their values for the sake of power. So you go on to write, you said to love the lost. So I'm loving you now. And I'm curious the 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 words of lost and found had a lot of meaning at least in my formative faith and i'm guessing yours as well how are you rethinking what it means to be quote unquote lost or found now yeah that's a good question um yeah one quote <laughs> that comes to mind is that uh jr tolkien Lord of the Rings, uh, not all who wander are lost. And uh, yeah. I just think that a lot of times growing up, um, if you didn't behave exactly like the church culture around you, you were backsliding yeah. or you were, you were yeah. among the lost. And um, I guess I just don't, don't think like that anymore. Um, maybe because the church culture has lost its credibility in my eyes and in many others to decide for the rest of us what is morality and what is good and just behavior. So, yeah, I mean, again, this is this is kind of harsh, but I think it's fair to say that, like, for many people, like faithful. Christians who go to church on a weekly basis, like they are lost. I, I mean, they're, they're lost. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Um, but there's some other lyrics that stand out to me about why don't you live the words you put into my mouth. And, and I think that's 
like I referenced my former youth pastor, that's, I think that's when it hits me when I'm like, wait a minute, this is what you, this is what you taught me. And, uh, I know we're all, we're all on some level hypocrites. Um, why does it, why is it like, what's more so in this situation that really pains you now? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it just comes back to all the things that I was told were important. And I think I'm frustrated because I, I took the religious leaders of my youth at face value. And so I, I take the words of Jesus seriously and things like the fruit of the spirit. Um, I was told that those, those things matter. Um, things like Matthew 25, what you do unto the least of these, like that's, that's how Jesus described, Mm -hmm. you know, what the kingdom of heaven is like and what God is like that you Mm -hmm. feed those that are hungry and you, you clothe those that need clothes. (laughs) Um, and I didn't see any strings attached to the way Jesus loved. And it seems like now the Republican party is so pull yourself up by your bootstraps that it almost mm-hmm. lets everybody else off the hook. Well, we don't have to help them yeah. because yeah. they made bad choices. And I just don't mm-hmm. see that yep. in the way of Jesus. And so that that isn't just frustrating for me. It's it's like it makes me angry because it just seems the opposite of of Jesus. Yeah. And I want to get to this because it kind of uh, goes along with what we were talking about earlier about uh, as we're recording this, it's near the end of January and the events at the Capitol in D.C. are, I mean, fresh in our memory, but, you know, a few weeks back. Um, And what we saw frighteningly at the Capitol, I mean, I was just talking with someone about this, was people holding crosses, waving Jesus flags, people going inside the the chambers to pray. And you write about the singing of glory, hallelujah, raise the flag. And I don't, I'm curious to hear what you meant from these lyrics, but what comes to mind for me is that quote, if you've heard about when fascism, fascism, excuse me, comes to America, it'll be wrapped uh, in a cross. Yeah, is it like wrapped in a flag and holding a Bible or something like that? Yeah, I was trying to do some research before it. I had always thought it was a Sinclair Lewis quote, but I, what it looks like is it's not a word for word thing he actually said, but that's the gist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it gets down to Christian nationalism and how that, mm-hmm. um, that cancer has been, with us for a long time. And I think in the last four years, just really ramped up and exploded and went from just below the surface to overt yep. and violent. Um, for me, it there's just a striking image from my childhood. Um, every 4th of July in our sanctuary, uh, <laughs> this is so crazy. We had like this huge stained glass cross um, you know, probably 40 or 50 feet tall in this beautiful sanctuary. And then on 4th of the July, we would raise this 40-foot American flag 
that would completely obscure the cross. And wow, <laughs> I was just like, even growing up, I'm like, wow, that symbolism is strong. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you put something in front of the cross like that. And as a Christian, I just remember thinking like, that doesn't sit well with me. I love America. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it just didn't sit with me well. And uh, I think that's, that's kind of the innocuous roots of, yeah. of white Christian nationalism. And in the last, you know, three or four years, it's just uh, people have become more bold uh, because the leader of the country mm -hmm. has given them permission and uh, and this is something too that our brothers and sisters of color have been saying for ever, <laughs> and so uh, yep. yep, we've just chosen not to listen or to be the white moderates that have said, uh, like um, Martin Luther King Jr. said that you know cry peace peace, uh, and and want mm -hmm. to wait. And go slow and don't yeah, ruffle feathers and do it yeah. the right way. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be a right way. <laughs> you know, when Colin Kaepernick kneels during the, yeah. the national anthem, yeah. that's the wrong way. Uh, when you protest in the way. streets and block traffic, that's the wrong way. Uh, so there's never a right way to demand justice. Um, well, I mean, we know what it is, Daniel. It's the right way is a way that doesn't bother me. Ergo, it doesn't bother me. I don't do anything to change it. Yeah. Of course, when yeah, you appreciate violently storm the Capitol, holding crosses mm -hmm. and, and Jesus shirts and flags, that apparently is the right way. <laughs> That's just yeah. wild. I appreciate your... your the, um, your words about Dr. King. I know that I'm always challenged when I think about his words. What the letter from Birmingham jail about? You know that the the real the real challenge wasn't the Ku Klux Klan or the White Citizens Council. It was the it was the white moderate pastor, in his words, who was like saying, "Hey, peace, moderation. Let's not go too far, too fast." And um, to me, that's the, those are the words that always speak most powerfully to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, how do we, how do we ensure that religion and especially Christianity doesn't become baptized, um, or I'm saying it wrong, how do we ensure that Christianity doesn't become weaponized to to essentially baptize hatred because I think in some ways it's already happened uh, how can we how can we stop that if that makes sense yeah I think unfortunately um, it has happened and those are unfortunately the roots of white American Christianity and so I think we have to have a lot of hard conversations coming to grips with that that the Bible was used to justify slavery, justify segregation. It was used to justify the Trail of Tears uh, and the massacre of indigenous people. Um, mm -hmm. And these were, quote-unquote, good, faithful people all along the yep. way. 
uh, with a Bible in, in one hand and a gun in the other. Um, and so yeah. I think we have a lot of hard conversations and a lot of repenting to do. Um, I work with a group now called Vote Common Good. And um, yeah. uh, before the election, we, we traveled the country trying to get people of faith to vote on their stated values of helping those in need. Mm-hmm. And um, we were um, obviously against the reelection of Donald Trump because he embodies so many things that are not the way of Jesus. Um, but our, our mission moving forward in this next year and, and probably beyond is the de-radicalization of American Christians. Um, and part of that is a racial reckoning, um, understanding that racism is baked into our, our churches and our theology. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so really combating that with, with our, with our faith and with the way of Jesus. Um, I, I feel in a lot of ways, Christianity has been hijacked and, um, real followers of Jesus need to take back the way of Jesus. And I don't know, like on my good days, I'm, I'm hopeful. And then on other days I'm like, I I don't know if we can pull this off. I, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, yeah, not that I'm worried for, for Jesus or for God. Um, right. You know, the church in other parts of the world is strong and beautiful and the African American Mm -hmm. church is strong and beautiful. Um, but this brand of Christianity, maybe it, it needs to die so that something new and beautiful can be resurrected. Yeah. Talk about, I'm curious if you can share, what are some like, are there some like action steps or I don't know, ways of going about to help like, like think about for our listeners, for me, like if you're, if we're talking to someone who's like a, who's way out there. Are there some steps you might recommend for folks to kind of begin that de-radicalization process? Yeah. Um, I'm by no means an expert and I'm learning and growing every day. And so I don't, sure, I don't yeah. claim to have it all together or know all the answers, but I think um, step one would be having an open heart and open mind. Um, mm-hmm just that realization that I might not know all the answers or I might not be on the right side of this discussion um, Mm -hmm. is important. And then I would say just listen a whole lot. And that can mean reading books. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of great authors uh, out there. The New Jim Crow is a really eye-opening book um, Mm -hmm. by Michelle Alexander and... um, there's just a whole a whole slew of of literature if reading is your thing. Uh, if reading is not your thing, I would say listen to preachers of color. Uh, listen to yeah. pastors that don't look like you, who have a different lived experience. And um, it's easy uh, when you're walking through this to get defensive when someone tells you... Um, that you're wrong or that you're a part of something that's wrong or you're a part of something that's inherently racist. It's easy to put up the defensive mm-hmm. walls and say, well, not me. I'm not like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and I think it's so important to prayerfully push through those walls and search for the truth in that. And um, sort of like that prayer of examine I talked about earlier, um, ask God yeah. to show you where you might be straying from the way of God, even though it's you know a, a sanctioned you know church-wide cultural thing that you're a part of. So yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Um, talk about talk about like the song ends with you kind of repeating it as. Sorry, my phone is ringing here. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a musician, so you can t- you can tell me what the what the name or whatever for the end of your song is called. Um, but the you you repeat the lyrics, "Come home, come home," as I remember, and the, that kind of struck me as like a like a prayer for them, really, like a prayer and like a invitation. And so I'm I'm curious, like, what is your ultimate hope for, like, these leaders, especially for, for this 81%? Yeah, I think um, one of the cornerstones of my faith is that Jesus can and does change people. Um, yeah. And I have changed, I've grown, and so I, I trust that others can change and grow as well. And, um, when I'm singing those, those words from the bridge of the song, come home, you're better than this. You taught me better than this. Um, I really mean it. I, the people that taught me to love Jesus are, are good people that would give you the shirt off their back. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I think they've been led astray and, Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's it's ever too late to turn turn around. Um, we talk about repentance so much in the church, yeah. but most of the time yeah. it's it's for someone else. It's for the drug addicts or you know, the the serious sins. Adulterer. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I think it's important to to look at our own lives and examine ways that maybe we have been walking in the wrong direction and we need to turn around and walk toward Jesus. So, Yeah. Well, let's take a break and we'll come back with some closing questions. Is the church really dying or is it dying to change? How can the church recapture what it was in the first century, a distinctive confessional community willing to stand against the status quo, to speak up against the empire and to stand for the gospel? How can it do this in a 21st century context? This year, the Festival of Homiletics invites you into a conversation around how the promise of the gospel might shape hope and ministry for the future of the church. What is the role of preaching in forming the church of the future? Be inspired by God's word proclaimed by some of the nation's finest ministers and teachers. Experience the fellowship of hundreds of preachers. Learn and worship in an atmosphere that is dynamic, friendly, nurturing, and prophetic. Come renew, refresh, and recharge your spirit. Join the Festival of Homiletics this spring for the 29th Annual Preaching Conference. It will be broadcast virtually the week of May 17th to the 21st, 2021, and is free to all who register. Enjoy over 30 sessions from some of the best practitioners in the business. Michael Curry, Kate Baller, Diana Butler-Bass, Otis Moss II, Brian McLaren, Marilyn Robinson, 
Adam Russell Taylor, and so many more. Register for free today at festivalofhomiletics.com. Are you a worship leader who is going through a faith shift while still trying to produce 52 services a year? Are you a lead pastor who is dealing with high turnover on your creative team? Torn Curtain Arts exists to strengthen the creative soul of the local church by providing coaching, creative consulting, and interim worship leaders from our team with 20 years experience in the trenches of ministry. We help leaders get off the ministry treadmill of chasing Sunday after Sunday. Learn more about how we can help you and your team by visiting torncurtainarts.org. All right, we're back with Daniel Dietrich. And Daniel, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you are Pope for a day, what do you want to do? You know, what does that day look like? Pope for a day. Wow. Um, man, I definitely wear the hat, the cool hat and yeah, ride right. in the cool car. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I would, I would probably hope to be similar to, <laughs> to the current Pope who is, um, you know, maybe not moved as, as far as fast as some of us would like to see but has consistently advocated for the poor and the marginalized and um called out things even in our american administration that needed to be called out so yeah Yeah. something like that and in a cool hat i like wearing the hat i think the hat's a good answer too what theologian or historical christian figure would you want to meet or bring back to life oh wow Um, hmm. It'd be tough not to say C.S. Lewis just because of, you know, my, my upbringing sure. with the Chronicles of Narnia. I'd have some questions for him. Yeah. So I'll go with that. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Hmm. I think history is, is not going to be kind. <laughs> Um, Mm. to white evangelicalism. And I think faithful people, faithful followers of Jesus in the future will look back, um, at this time with, with great sadness. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, what do you hope then? What do you hope for the future of Christianity? Yeah, I am hopeful. I think, um, you know, throughout the history of Christianity, there's been these, um, you know, these big moments of change, um, mm-hmm. whether it's the Reformation or, you know, any number of, of moments where we've done this thing for the same way for 500 years and now something breaks and that old way mm-hmm. of doing things doesn't work anymore and uh, we stumble into a new way of of living out our faith. And I'm hopeful that we're in one of those moments that collectively we're stumbling forward toward Jesus into a new way of, of following Jesus. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, where can people find out more about you? 
Yeah, uh, I'm on all the social media platforms at Daniel Dietrich. Um, you'll probably spell my last name wrong, <laughs> so hopefully look it up somewhere. Um, we're bad Germans. It's spelled D-E-I-T-R-I-C-H. Um, and then it's just DanielDietrich.com is my website. Uh, you can find my stuff there. And I've also got a Patreon. Uh, so I'm an independent musician and I don't have a record label or anybody funding this. And so, mm-hmm. um, my Patreon community pitches in a few bucks a month or however much they want and they get really access to songs and music and the writing process and stuff like that. And so, uh, especially through this pandemic, my Patreon community has just been a real lifeline. So it's awesome. Well, make sure Make sure you send me that, and I can include that information when I uh, put this stuff out. So Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, yeah, thanks so much for your time, Daniel. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, wish you God's peace. Likewise. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go... Do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast, and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.